Welcome to the Plant Cunning Podcast, where we explore a relationship to plants, other people, and the mysteries of nature. Coming to you from the High Allegheny Plateau in central New York, we are your hosts, A.C. Staubel and Isaac Hill. Greetings, friends. Today is the fall equinox. Welcome to the autumn. It's episode 49. We're about to be celebrating our 50th episode And this time marks about a year of us doing the Plant Cunning podcast. And so we're going to do a duo cast today for you to talk about the fall um, and the mid-harvest season and the equinox and things that are going on at the homestead. I'd like to take a moment to thank all of you listeners for listening and sharing with your friends and for the Patreons. Patron Patreons, Patreon patrons, for your generous support. Um, We, you know, we couldn't really do this without you, and uh, it's really nice to to see people continuing to listen and the 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 listens to keep rising, and that feels really good. So, first, we'd like to talk about our plans for this uh, this podcast. Um, it's been almost a year and our 50th episode is the next one. Um, we have some really great guests coming up scheduled. We've got Stephen Paulington, who is a, an Anglo-Saxon historian and, um, writer, author about all, all sorts of fun things of old English magic and folklore. And he has this book, Leechcraft, which is about uh, Anglo-Saxon herbalism and that's going to be a lot of fun to talk to him about that we also have pam montgomery coming up who is a wonderful herbalist and teacher she's just super heart-centered and connected to plants in a very spiritual way and i can't wait to talk to her about um how she helps people to connect with plants from that heart place yeah and we've got uh john michael greer coming up again which is going to be another fun episode i'm excited about that and uh Sarah from Rowan and Sage talk about astroherbalism. That'll be in in November. And Bevan Cohen, he wrote the artist, uh, sorry, the artisan herbalist, and is um, an herbalist and homesteader. Yeah, so it's going to be a lot of fun. We've got a lot of great episodes coming up, but we have many more people who we are interested in interviewing. Um, but we also would love any suggestions from from all of you fine folks about who you would really like to see us uh, interview. Yeah, so you can find us at plantcunning at gmail.com or on Patreon. And we love to listen um, to, we love to hear feedback from our patrons about who they want to hear on the show. Yeah, but we also have been uh, toying with the idea of doing more video. Um, I, I've heard it's the way of the future, of course, me being the uh, the old man that I am, I don't. Maybe it's the way of the past, but we might, we might, we might do it. AC is really beautiful, so <laughs> so we might as well work it, right? <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah just uh, some people prefer video. Some people really connect um, to the content better with the visuals rather than um, just hearing our voices. So. We're open to doing that, um, but we're curious what our listeners think. Like, is the audio enough for you, or are you interested in, would you be interested in seeing our faces as we talk? <laughs> well, so I personally 
don't really watch that many videos and I mostly listen to podcasts while I'm like driving or mowing or doing the dishes and stuff like that. But I know people have very different ways of consuming media, so be good to hear from you. Because it also would be a little more difficult for us because we are in the country and the the internet is not super great. It's all right. It's good enough to do what we're doing. But we just find that when we do more video on Zoom, um, there's just more... Uh, like glitches and stuff like that so yeah so let us know what you think about us doing video yeah and so i guess now we should really start talking about the homestead this is our we're coming into our second year we we got the place in november of 2019 so we're coming up to that to that milestone and this is our second season we're ending our second season here so we're, we are excited about a lot of really wonderful uh, plants that we've been harvesting, plants and mushrooms, and it's really the season of the globes. Yeah, we've seems. been notice, noticing a lot of globular um, fruits from the fields. Like <laughs> our neighbors have been dropping off puffball mushrooms for us, which are just these big, giant globes. Like they're the size of your head, um, and they're kind of like an interest they're an interesting mushroom they're not like any other mushroom that i've had they're they, you can powder them up into like a crumbly powder and make a gravy out of them you can slice them and make them into like puffball steaks we saw lots of recipes for puffball eggplant parm so like breading it in an egg batter frying serving with some uh, tomato sauce and mozzarella cheese melted on top i'm like oh that sounds really good yeah, and puffballs are just one of those mushrooms that are really easy to t to tell, you know, to positively ID. You know, if it's a big white mushroom and you cut it open and it's white all the way through, it's a puffball and it's good to eat. There so. are puffballs in the woods that you find that have a black, when you cut it open, they have black spores in the center. And those are not um, for eating. So stick with the ones that you find in the field. And one cool thing about puffballs is they can grow in what is called a fairy ring. And it's a, a circle of puffballs. <clears throat> and they can get to be miles long. Like they can be a huge fairy ring. So you might see a few individuals forming like kind of a curved line in your field. But if you take an aerial shot, like with a drone or a plane, you, could, you might be able to see them going for miles, which is really interesting. Yeah, it's all that mycelium just growing outwards mm. in a in a circle. Yeah, it's part of a globe. But my favorite way to uh, process them uh, has been to crumble them up. If you open up the puffball and you just crumble it, it crumbles kind of like sausage, and you cook it all up with some butter or uh, other fat. And then you can freeze that, and it's a really it's a it's an easy way to to uh, store it. I did that last year, and we've had a puffball gravy. I make like a sausage gravy. Served with, with biscuits. Yeah, that's it's a really wonderful way to eat it. Um, but we're going to make some uh, puffball and wine cap uh, tomato sauce. Well, actually, Hannah is going to be doing mm -hmm. that because um, she's really good at tomato sauce. Yeah, our friend and intern Hannah who's here. So that brings us to another globe that we're harvesting a lot of, uh, tomatoes. Yeah, it's the season of the tomatoes. It has been for a little bit now, but they're really 
coming yeah. on strong now. <laughs> yeah, we have kind of a short season, and we're very lucky that we haven't had a frost yet. <laughs> Last year we had a frost on September 19th, so. And I cried. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we've still got lots of tomatoes, and those are always good. We haven't really sun-dried any this year, um, but we're going to make some sauce. We've just been eating, like, tomato sandwiches and mm-hmm. eating them that, you know, in various other ways, salsa. Mm-hmm. But uh, that also brings us to one of my other favorite globes, the apple. Our apple trees are dumping massive quantities of apples. <laughs> we have these these um, so some wild trees and then some like uh, f- not feral but overgrown giant apple trees in this in the, our woods. So it used to be an, an orchard and now it's a forest. And I'm considering if it's if if we should rehabilitate into an orchard or leave it as a forest but in the time being there's still you know there's still lots of apples that we're harvesting so i made about five gallons of cider and that was a great way to process apples we'll make some applesauce applesauce and then i want to pick a bunch off the tree uh to store in cold storage which is very important if you if you pick pick the apples from the tree before they're ripe then they store longer which is good. And also, um, we should make note of Johnny Appleseed Day, which is in a few days. I believe it's the 26th of September. Um, and that's a good time to give thanks to the local land spirits, to um, invoke Johnny Appleseed himself as the patron of, uh, of nurserymen and apple growers and orchardists um, in, in, in the United States. And... Um, also to just give thanks to the apple trees. That's that's always a good thing to do. Mm-hmm. And if you're interested in that and you haven't, don't really know Johnny Appleseed Day, uh, you might want to listen to our previous episode with John Michael Greer about Johnny Appleseed um, and green wizardry. That's... And he has some great uh, blog posts about Johnny Appleseed too that you could read up further on. Yeah. And then while we're in the apple orchard... Um, can't help but also notice the hawthorn trees right next to all the apple trees that are producing their globular uh, berries. So the hawthorn berry is abundant um, right now, and it's an amazing medicine for the heart, both for the physical heart, you know, as an organ, as well as the emotional heart. And it's something that I literally will go through gallons of hawthorn tincture in the year for people um just as a general heart tonic as well as for people that are moving through grief and emotional pain so i made a bunch of hawthorn flower this spring late spring early summer and um hannah has been gathering a bunch of the hawthorn berries that we've been tincturing and we're even drying some for tea um, which is the first time i've tried that but i think that putting them in the dehydrator and crisping, crisping them up will be great for winter teas as well. Yeah, I love hawthorn. They're just so beautiful. And they're really plentiful out here. Uh, they're one of those early succession trees. And just what, what a wonderful, protective, magical plant as yeah. well. The thorns on them, they have these really ridiculously long, aggressive thorns. So... As I just mentioned, the early succession, that's like as they're, as a field that's been recently plowed, the hawthorn come up and 
as you know, animals, deer and cow or horses are grazing through the field, if they come across one of these small plants, they still have long thorns on these small plants and a cow is not going to take a second bite out of that tree and it'll allow um, the tree to grow and make space for other plants to grow right around the base of it and it's an interesting um, flow in nature. Yeah, we have an old field um, just past our, our property and it's mostly hawthorns and wild apples. And so at one point it was pasture, and now it's hawthorns and wild apples with goldenrod. And underneath those hawthorn trees, that's where you'll see the sugar maples starting to grow. And we actually, in, in our little woods here, we have several instances of a an apple tree, a mature apple tree that's starting to die back as a young sugar maple is making its way to the canopy. Yeah. And that's really, it's, you know, nurse tree. It's really mm. interesting part of the ecology of this area so we've got hawthorns apples another globe that we've got uh coming up is pumpkins we planted all of these uh sugar pump you know sugar pumpkins for for pumpkin pie um put them in like a the remnants of my of the compost pile and uh they just really went went for it they mm-hmm. grew everywhere and <laughs> and we've got lots of pumpkins to store and to uh to turn into pie mm. and to you can even make like curries with it you know we have some ac- oh, we don't have acorns we have butternuts and um spaghetti spaghetti also popping up those were uh volunteers, volunteers from the compost pile yeah yeah it's funny to see all these vines coming out of the compost pile and we have like um, a pallet, you know, like four-sided pallet compost bin that Isaac built. And so there's just these like acorn, or I'm sorry, spaghetti squashes like hanging over the size, sides of the pallets and these big yeah. yellow globes and ripening. So we're excited to try those. Yeah, we kind of, I think it was the end of the, in the, in the spring, that's when we like changed compost bins and uh, where there was a couple of rotten uh spaghetti squash that you know we didn't get to and i just throw those threw those on top and they you know they (laughs) sprouted up um and then the other the pumpkins are in a in a hot compost pile that well the remnants of one you know i used most of it for beds and then there's just a little bit left so that's where the the pumpkins are but yeah it's a really great way to put you know great great place to put squash (laughs) yeah We've also got lots of potatoes coming up. Um, we're going to start harvesting those soon. Not not quite yet. Those are kind of glo- globular. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm really excited about those. We we actually just dumpstered a bunch of like beautiful red and yellow little like figurelings from mm-hmm. the Aldi dumpster, and that was our potato uh, seed potatoes because. Actually, the, this spring, you well, you're supposed to give it the fall, but we couldn't. You, even in January, we they're all sold out from like uh, Fedco and anywhere mm-hmm. we would generally get them. So that works. That works enough. <laughs> well, yeah. well enough for us. Uh, so those are most of our globes, but we also have non-globe things that we're excited about harvesting. Yeah, lots of roots coming in. We got our our beets and carrots and daikon radishes. Yeah, daikons. If you don't know about daikons, um, I'm here to tell you that they're amazing. <laughs> they're just huge. They're huge radishes. They grow quickly, 
and it's like you know you're used to like a like a small little red radish you get from the store. This is like I don't know, like a like I don't know a hundred of them almost maybe yeah, fifty. It's like maybe twenty. Some I don't of know. these daikons are almost as long as my whole forearm, but but thicker and thicker. Yeah. yeah, they're like they're like the size of my bicep, which is super thick. <laughs> it's thick enough. <laughs> Yeah, actually, actually, some of them are bigger than that. They have that same like radishy taste, you know, yeah. like the crisp, delicious, Sweet, juicy, juicy, but with that little bit of that mustardy bite. spice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the the I'm really excited about the carrots too. I was a little unsure because we have very rocky soil how well they would do, but they did they did great. I really babied them. Yeah. I like really picked out every rock and. Just made a small little section of carrots, and then I like put all this compost and soil on top so that the seeds would do well. And I thinned them, you know, and you know, just gave them a lot of attention. So yeah, it's I. I'm always I don't know. I'm impressed by people who can grow rows and rows of carrots. You know, we just did this little patch. Yeah, um, our our Amish neighbors have rows and rows of carrots. Mm-hmm. They have rows and rows of everything, though. Yeah, they're real veggie farmers. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like their livelihood. Right. This is just our little homestead experiments and seeing what we can do. But we're, we know we're trying to to grow as much food as we can, basically. So one thing that Isaac did with the daikons that I really liked was hot and sour soup. Do you want to explain how you make hot and sour soup? Yes, but before we get into hot and sour soup, I want to talk about another non-globular thing that we are harvesting tons of and that is wine capstrotheria because that also goes in hot and sour soup yeah exactly <laughs> um so wine capstrotheria is this mushroom um that's basically the easiest mushroom to cultivate except maybe oyster um but it's probably on par with oyster but they they need wood chips or some organic material so in the spring we got all all these wood chips, um, and we they were we got them for fre- we were pretty fresh, and we just we ordered this uh, I don't know it was like a foot by a half you know bag of of mycelium of of wine capstrotheria mycelium, and we just um, put some cardboard down, put the wood chips down, and mixed in all this uh, mycelium into this big wood chip bed. And then just watered it in and let it sit all summer. And then now they're they're huge flushes, more mushrooms than I could have than I can even eat at once, <laughs> or ten of us could eat at once. <laughs> um, and we've been trying all sorts of things. We made mushroom gravy uh, for steaks. Um, we made like uh, mushroom cream of mushroom soup. That was pretty good. Um, but my favorite thing with so far has been to add them to hot and sour soup. And the the wine caps are definitely not my favorite mushroom in the world. They're not bad by any means, but they're not like to me they're not on equal to a uh, a chanterelle or a morel or shiitake. Or shiitake. Those are, to me are like top tier. This is like it's good. Um I but would it's com- not top tier. I would compare it to like a portobello. Yeah, it's it similar has to a portobello. That but... same kind of thick um texture and shape even yeah yeah and um i also would compare it kind of to a honey mushroom it's kind of it can be a little bit 
slimy to a certain not slimy is a bad word but um slippery mm -hmm. and it has a similar texture oh and the other thing about the um the wine caps referio mycelium is once you have a wood chip bed of it then you can just take a, pit, a bit of that wood chip bed and add it to any other wood chip bed and you can keep um exponentially proliferating them yeah so, so anywhere you have wood chips you should really just have some wine cap mycelium to put in there because it's just another food that's going to be growing in your pathways yeah of your gardens to your other food it's amazing and they're well mushrooms are just really good for you to eat in general so mm -hmm. any any good mushrooms that you're getting is is good for you um and what you can't eat fresh you can dry we've been dehydrating them as well we dry them in the sun for at least a half hour but sometimes just hours and then we put them in the dehydrator to crisp them up yeah we should talk about that a little bit later too whenever we talk about the sun <laughs> but for now let's let's do the hot and sour soup uh thing sorry for getting distracted <laughs> um well so this is a master recipe that my mom taught me and we talked uh with dina falcone in the spring about master recipes and it's basically this recipe that in every season, depending on what's available, you will add and, and change the actual particulars of, of the recipe. So for us right now, we have lots of wine caps. We have daikons. We have carrots. We have onions, garlic, and we have duck eggs. So I, I'll start by caramelizing the onions. Then I'll add the mushrooms, add the other vegetables, and then uh, add broth. And this is from, we made, actually took all the stems from the wine caps, as well as bones from some chickens, and um, boiled that, you know, simmered that for hours, and then, and then you have your, your bone broth, or your whatever, your stock, your chicken stock. So you add that, and then you add vinegar and hot pepper to taste, and that makes it hot and sour. And then I always, at the end, crack eggs in it, right at, right at the end pack some eggs and stir them around and that gives it like an egg drop f f soup f uh, texture and you have all that protein from the eggs and that's like one of my favorite you know master recipes and it's really good in the fall it's warming it's good for your stomach and you're it's really healthy for you you get the all of those good things and you can change it based on the season so you know oh we also add like ginger that's another big thing and soy sauce um or uh liquid aminos yeah aminos or whatever you've got so um but you can change it based on if you're in, in the in the winter you have whatever dried mushrooms you know you have your stored daikons or your stored carrots um in the spring you can add more like shoots like asparagus or poke or uh you know whatever whatever uh, uh ramps whatever you've got that's coming up at that time in the summer you know you can add you know, uh, like baby corn or... And whatever kind of egg you have. The first time Isaac made this sweet and sour soup for me was at his place, his mom's place in um, Pennsylvania, and they have quails and quail eggs, and they're just so amazing in the soup. You get, like, the whole entire yolk, which is the size of, like, a quarter, but round, and it is just, like, melt in your mouth with this little ball of protein in this hot and sour soup, and... I will never forget the first time I had the hot and sour soup with that quail egg. Yeah, the quail eggs are really good. When I'm doing a normal egg, like, or a, like a duck egg or a chicken egg, I make sure to stir it up so it like shreds it. But with the 
with the uh, the quail eggs, if you have quail eggs, this is what you do is you wait until the soup is cooked. You turn it off, and then you drop the quail eggs in whole. And then they'll just cook on the outside, and but on the inside they'll still be you know like soft boiled. So that's the way to do it if you have quail eggs. Yeah, crack them in whole. You don't, not the shell, just to be yeah, clear. Yeah, you can put the shell. <laughs> not the shell. Yeah. <laughs> so yummy. Well, I would, and, and with the quail eggs too, because they have that thick, like a membrane, I would make, put them all in a bowl, you know, like um, cut them all, like deshell them all in a bowl first, and then put them in one by one, rather than uh, cracking them over each one over the the soup, because they they have really thick membranes. <laughs> Um, so that's hot and sour soup, but there's another, another, uh, master recipe that I'm, I'm using right now in order to preserve, uh, large amounts of greens for the winter. And that is, I don't know, well, I don't know what to call it, except like it's based on palak paneer or sog paneer, which is an, an Indian, uh, dish, which is basically, basically creamed greens with, with paneer, with cheese this like fresh cheese but so when i do it i i make this like a creamed curried greens and as a sauce and then i'll add like either uh, I've, I've added like well paneer fresh like actual paneer or i've added tofu like hard firm tofu or i've added um cheese curds <laughs> surprisingly perfect yeah the cheese curds they kind of maintain their their structure with a little bit of melt and so they have that kind of same paneer consistency of a um, squeaky kind <laughs> of, you know, feeling. And they're local. You know, we can get local cheese curds from local milk. Um, so it's it was an interesting experiment. We, we tried it and it was delicious. Yeah, but so you can basically uh, freeze the sauce in bags by itself and then add whatever paneer or cheese or tofu whatever you've got um when you when you thaw it and then you serve it over rice or quinoa and so what i do for that is i start by caramelizing onions (laughs) which is always the number one number one and then i'm adding like my curry mix and ginger and uh cumin and all those spices and then i after everything's caramelized and i'll be adding all the greens a green mixture of whatever's in season and this you can do you know whenever there's fresh greens so in the spring i'm using nettles i'm using ramp greens i'm using um little uh what are they called not rockets uh but cress cress yeah in the summer i'm using um amaranth and i'm using uh lamb's quarters and those kind of greens or kale and chard kale and chard and yeah but now in the fall kale and chard Mm. is like one of the main things but also uh like uh turnip greens mm. turnip greens are really good mm-hmm. um and uh what other oh, uh mustard greens those are really mm-hmm. good too so but basically just whatever greens you have on hand so this is something you, that's like a master recipe you just change the greens and you can change the the palak or the the, the palak and you can change the paneer so um that's so basically add the greens to the caramelized onions, let them cook, and then you add either coconut milk or cream or some kind of oat milk. My favorite is coconut milk. It really gives it – you have a lot of fat and mm-hmm. flavor and it's creamy. Um, 
And this way, eating these greens with, with all that fat, it makes it more digestible. So you're really uh, digesting and taking in all of the nutrients, all of the vitamins and minerals from the greens. And you can, when you, when you do it this way, when you cook them down and then you blend them, then they're, it's like a super nutrient dense uh, sauce. And you're, you're, you're eating like 17 salads in one bowl, <laughs> you know? Like and it's just concentrated. Goodness. When you blend it, you usually use the hand blender, the immersion blender. The yeah, I used to just use have a big blender and I would just pour it in there and, and do it. And that was messy. Uh, but the immersion blender really is a game changer. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just put it, put it in the uh, in the pot and blend it all up. And then you have this creamed greens, <laughs> this uh, paneer, palak paneer type thing. <clears throat> then you, then And then after it's, it's blended, then you would add your uh your your paneer or your tofu or your or your uh, cheese curds or, or whatever you've you found i've tried even um like whole milk mozzarella and that has a tendency to melt a little bit quicker mm-hmm. so that's that's not quite as good but it's still good and then it has that very like the spicy aromatic curry oh my god i'm things. getting so hungry <laughs> this is literally my favorite thing that isaac makes now i could eat it every day and i love eating greens every day and in the winter, it kind of kills me that I can't just like walk outside and gather some greens to cook up in a saute with eggs in the morning. And, um, you know, preserving them by just blanching your greens, you know, and throwing them in the freezer, there's something lost there for me. Like I, it is good. It's like, you know, these fresh greens from my garden that I grew and it's a reminder of summer in the winter, but it doesn't feel the same. It doesn't have the same texture and doesn't really like taste the same as a fresh greens. And so having this blended, creamy, you know, super dense dish that you can just make some rice and de-thaw and, you know, have it all winter long is just such an amazing treat. So I strongly encourage y'all to like preserve some greens, go to the farmer's market or go to your garden and grab them and blend it up. Like Isaac said, it's just amazing. Well, I mean, just try it, see if you like it. Um, I think that having the fat component of it really helps preserve the greens and their freshness in the freezer, mm-hmm. um, more so than just like yeah. That's then. why a pest, freezing pesto works better, I think, than just freezing chopped up blanched greens. Yeah, yeah, and that also like it, you can make make like uh, parsley butter, or one um, other thing that I'll make is if I have a lot of cilantro. And too much, I'm not going to use it. I'll, I'll make cilantro butter or cilantro oil and, and freeze that. But the um, pesto, that's another really great way to preserve mm. the harvest. You want to talk a little bit about about pestos? Yeah, so, I mean, pesto is obviously a specific thing that comes from Italy with the Genovese basil young, just the freshest tips of the basil plant. You're supposed to with, use a pestle. Yeah, pestle. you can use a mortar and pestle or, um, yeah, hand chopping them and then you you add olive oil a little lemon juice a little garlic and pine nuts so that's the traditional pesto which is fabulous and delicious but if you want to um, expand upon that or use different nuts and seeds or different oils and different greens then it's a great way to preserve all those fresh um, basils you can use tulsi you can use cinnamon basil or lime basil thai basil 
And then you can expand to other greens, like just using your kale and your chard and arugula. Nettle. Nettle, uh, lamb's Ramp. quarter, ramps. Like I have done pesto out of probably every green thing that I can get my hands on from the fields and forest and garden. And every season they're a little different. Every batch is a little different. Um but yeah, you can you can try it with different nuts and seeds. So like pine nuts are super expensive, right? So I love to use walnuts or sunflower seeds or even almonds. I like almonds with the Tulsi pesto. I think the flavor profile of the Tulsi and almonds really complements each other well. Um, but yeah, sunflower seeds are a great way to go because they have that same kind of butteriness that the pine nut offers, but they're like, what, an eighth of the price? Yeah. Another good one is uh, the the pumpkin seeds. We did a pumpkin oh, yeah. seed Tulsi pesto, and that mm. was really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I definitely encourage everyone to make some pesto and freeze that for winter because that's another thing to just pop out, and you can spread it on bread or put it on uh, pasta or gluten-free pasta, and yeah, it's an instant meal that's super nutrient-dense. It's got the protein, the oils, the greens. And then also, I always add fresh garlic. And yeah, the garlic, of course. So, and that... Like this is actually a medicinal food. Mm-hmm. You know, you have fresh garlic. You have concentrated amounts of medicinal plants. Mm. It's a medicinal food. It's food as medicine. Same with the paneer, palak paneer type dish. Like that is a medicinal food. Yeah. And also the hot and sour soup. That's a medicinal food because mm. you're and especially when you're using like shiitakes, ginger, ginger, yeah, broth. all the warming, yeah, the, yeah. Like I think that's the way to go. You know. And, that's, and I always feel more vital, have more energy when I'm eating good, high-quality food. Yeah. And one other thought that I just had was um, you can make a broccoli pesto if you blanch or steam your broccoli and blend that with a little Parmesan cheese. I didn't even mention that, people, that you put Parmesan cheese in your pesto because I usually will leave it out and then add it to my dish if I want it. But it's nice to have like a dairy-free option. So if I'm sharing it with guests, I just know there's no dairy in it if that's an issue for people. Um, But yeah, the broccoli is a great way because a lot of times, you know, you have a big, you have a bunch of broccoli and it's about to go bad. Like it's kind of like a moment's notice that broccoli gives you before it just turns disgusting. So that's a great way to use a bunch of broccoli and a great way to get it into your family's meals because some kids are like, I'm not trying to eat that really green, fibrous broccoli. But then you put it in, the blender with a little cheese and garlic and oil and all of a sudden it's transformed and you can put that on um to pasta it's like often i see it in italian dishes with orecchetti the ear-shaped pasta that is just like you make a big sheet of pasta and use your thumb to break off little pieces of the pasta and then it kind of is a little cup for all this delicious broccoli sauce so it's a great way to sneak in the greens to your your family yeah, so th- that those are some great ways to preserve foods, um, but these are also dependent on having a freezer with electricity. True, which uh, we do, and we're very grateful. F- we're grateful for having that right now. Um, but another way to preserve stuff that isn't as dependent on electricity is drying, um, and we've been drying a lot of stuff, but especially um, mushrooms, and especially you know on this this day, the fall equinox, we're celebrating the the darkness overtaking the light in a certain way, you know, mm. like we're now the days are getting shorter. Um, they've been getting shorter since the, the solstice, but now they're, 
the the nights are longer and the days are shorter. Um, as a right now they're equal, but from now on, you know, the the nights get longer and longer. So the dark is overtaking the light, and this is the time when it's so important to to be gra- grateful to the sun. Um, up here in the north, and this is obviously different in in the southern hemisphere. You know, it would be the other way around. And if you're living closer to the tropics, you kind of have the sun <laughs> all year long. <laughs> but up here, um, we don't have enough sun in the winter, like to make vitamin D for one. So now's the time when we'll start taking some vitamin D supplements because that is very important, uh, especially for upper respiratory infections and uh, keeping yourself healthy and not getting sick in the winter. Um, so we we take vitamin D um, starting about now, but we also really try to get as much sunlight as we can. Those beautiful fall days where you can still have your shirt off or as much skin showing <laughs> to the sun as you can. Um, this is the great time to soak up that, that sun before it starts disappearing. Um, cause at a certain point, uh, the sun isn't really hitting the angle good enough for you to, to actually get vitamin, vitamin D. But one way that you can st- store vitamin D to, to eat then in the, in the winter is, well, one is getting like really good grass fed, uh, beef and uh dairy that's that's how you can and, and also fish another thing is um i think sea berries have it too but one of the things you can do yourself is drying mushrooms in the sun now mushrooms hyper accumulate vitamin d if they're dried in the sun it only has to be a few hours right even a half hour so even a, even just a half hour and then you can crisp them up in your dehydrator or your solar, your either electric or solar dehydrator. Um, but as long as they get that half hour to a few hours in the sun, then they're uh, then they've they've accumulated vitamin D, and you can you can take that into your body as a natural supplement in the middle of winter. So we've been doing that with our uh, wine caps and uh, shiitakes, the other mushrooms that we that we're getting. So we got a bunch when I was down um, in West Virginia out collecting some pawpaws which was amazing um in pears um i i got a bunch of turkey tail and that is a really wonderful medicinal mushroom um but before we do anything with it we just let put it in the sun for a few hours and then we can dry it or tincture it um so yeah that's what that's what we do with all of our mushrooms and and uh yeah, it's important to acknowledge the sun at this at this point in time, and to say thank you, and to get get the last last bit of it you can. I know in like the middle of summer when it's so hot and it's like you're kind of like, oh, sun, just go away. I just want to go into the basement. It's so, t- <laughs> um, or air conditioning, which we we don't use, but um, the basement's kind of like that. <laughs> but at this point, it's like the sun is such a sweet, beautiful, you know being mm. it, and I, now I, you know it's why like the norse see the sun as a as a as a as a as a, as a woman instead of like in the in the middle east more in the mediterranean the sun is more viewed as as a as a man and a little more harsher <laughs> whereas in the in the north it's more nurturing um beautiful but yeah i just want to really say thank you to the sun and and move on i guess to uh 
Well, I guess root cellar, so we could talk a little bit about that. That's something that we're working on now. Our cellar, we need to fix our cellar door, and there's some problems with the wall. So uh, I've been working on that and all, and trying to fix it up so we can use it as a root cellar because that's a really great way to store these things like daikon radishes and potatoes, pumpkins, apples. Squashes. Yeah. Beets. All these, all these crops. Um, we don't have to store them in the fridge, you know. Uh, you just store them in, the, in your root cellar, and they'll they'll stay all all winter. You have have access to food. So I want to really be be trying to do these like low tech, appropriate tech solutions. Another thing is a ice house. So I I traded work with one of my Amish neighbors to get a an, an ice house, which is like a big insulated box basically that you put um, ice in in the winter, and then you have a cooler all summer. So that's that's another thing that we're gonna get set up, and uh, and and fill with ice this winter. Yeah, we're that'll be a, an interesting project. I've never chainsawed a frozen pond before to like gather <laughs> chunks of ice out to store to be able to keep crops cool all summer long. So I feel like this is gonna be a big level up in our appropriate tech, um, old school technology. Yeah, old school, food preservation. School, yeah. yeah, I'm really excited about that. And then, yeah, this is also the season. The fall season is a great time for cleaning house and cleaning barns and getting all the dust bunnies out from under the beds and sweeping ceilings and um, dusting my tincture bottles and and books and just it's a it's a similar vibe of the spring cleaning, you know, to prepare the house and. The property for for the fall and for the winter <clears throat> so we moved into this place it was sold as is which meant full of stuff crap some crap some gold but yeah. um yeah so hard to walk in the barn because there's just boxes and you know things everywhere and so we've been constantly you know bit by bit going through and finding some things to sell or give away. Um, and we've had a couple of dumpsters here and we've loaded up two full size dumpsters. We probably have another two at least, at least that we could fill plus many, many tag sales. But yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's like, "Hmm, this isn't garbage, but does anybody want it? And it turns out if you put it on side of road (laughs) (laughs) and you just put a free sign up at the end of the road, yeah, people want it. Yeah, they'll (laughs) just take it to their hoard. Yeah, so we've been um, yeah, giving a lot away. But in a couple weeks here, we're doing our first big barn sale, tag sale, where um, we're going to try to just move some stuff and and make a little money off of it for all of the effort that it really is taking to to go through it all. I'm excited about that. Yeah, so we're cleaning out the clean out the barns a little bit. Mhm. And we're getting ready for winter. Mhm. Yeah, it comes fast and hard and lasts. Yeah. Up here. Yeah. So, yeah, we're getting the wood wood uh that's been drying all summer, and we're gonna start s- stacking that up in a dry, a dry uh, wood wood shed. Yep, and we're clearing out one of the bays of a barn for our ducks and geese to live in the winter. Um, they are very cold. They're both cold hardy breeds, um, 
and, you know, a little bit of hay um, sort of stacked up in one of the open-faced barns is actually plenty of warmth for them because they also make a huge mess with their water and so you need to have some airflow in there as well so we're not going to keep them in like a contained closed space but they'll have a little yard to go out in in the daytime and then lock them up in their coops at night to keep them safe from from predators and warm but I'm a little bit nervous about our first winter with the ducks and geese because they had a really beautiful season roaming around getting a new paddock every week um you know, yeah. grazing the slugs and snails, the ducks feasted on the dandelion greens. The geese uh, adore the dandelion greens. Every time I come out of the the house, they're like, "Ma, ma, ma, feed ma. me dandelion greens!" And every time I'm in the guarded weeding, they know they're gonna get all the dandelion greens as a treat. Yeah, I, I swear they say "mom" and Isaac. They're like, <laughs> "Isaac, Isaac, <laughs> Isaac." <laughs> Yeah, they get so rowdy. It's hilarious. Like, give me greens. Give me yeah. food. So, I but. mean, this season has been beautiful for them. We haven't lost any birds. We've, um, you know, just been really lucky. So I'm, you know, ap- a little apprehensive, a little nervous about going into winter where the snow gets really tall. It gets really cold. And I think they're going to get bored. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, there's no dandelion greens treats. So. I don't know. We're, We're going to have to start sprouting grains. Oh, good idea. Yeah. Yeah. That's the way to do it. Yeah. All right. I feel better now. Good idea. <laughs> <laughs> it's already in the plans. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I guess we, we're about done with this episode. Yeah, we got to get ready for our Equinox party tonight. We're having a celebration with some neighbors and friends uh, celebrating the bounty of the fields and forests and grains. It's going to be a possibilities party, so pasta or gluten-free pasta with either pesto or a mushroom sauce or um, a meat sauce and some you know fresh breads and squashes and people are bringing different things and wine and we'll, we'll have a fire and um, just really appreciate each other um, outside while we still can <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah okay. so I'm looking forward to that but I gotta go clean my house so um <laughs> Yeah, thank you all for listening, and um, keep keep listening. Stay tuned for all of the exciting episodes that we have coming up, and I hope you have a very happy fall equinox. Happy Mebom. Bomb.